0: I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Bundjalung nation. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present.
1: We have consumers that are very curious as well. They realize rum was more than what they were used to and what they knew. And they always want to try something new, whether it's from Australia or from overseas. So um, really exciting times of seeing all those people trying different things.
0: This is Over a Glass. I'm Shantae Whale. Husk Distillers was founded by Paul Messenger in 2009, situated in the Tweed Valley of northern New South Wales. Pioneers of cultivated Australian rum, Husk has shed light on the production of the pure cane spirit and been highly successful in developing agricole rum of the highest quality and standards within Australia. Quinton Breville, head distiller, joins us today. Hi, Quinton. Thanks for joining
1: me. Thanks for having me.
0: Can you give us a bit of a background on the history of Husk Distillers?
1: Sure. So um, to start, I guess I would say there's a little bit of Caribbean influence. So Paul Messenger who founded Husk, decided to go on a holiday in the Caribbean in, 20, uh, in 2009. Sorry. And what he discovered there is a whole world evolving around rum. The only thing he knew about rum in Australia was two main brands, Bundaberg and Binley. And when he went there, he realized there were hundreds of brands that had been making rum for, you know, 100, 200 years and making incredible spirits. So he tasted it, and that was the first time he had such um, a different experience actually drinking the rum. And on top of that, he realized there was a, a real and rich culture around making rum, but also drinking it. And when I say drinking, I mean appreciating it. And after that little trip, and especially his last visit on, um, of one of those islands in Martinique, where I'm from, um, he really realized that there was something missing in the rum landscape in Australia. And his idea was to come back here and create uh, a true Australian expression of what he had experienced over there. So he started the distillery in uh, 2012 after a few experiments. And he decided to make that French Caribbean style of rum that we make in Martinique that uses the fresh sugarcane juice as opposed to the molasses, which is commonly used by most of the rum distillers in the world. So there are a few differences there, but essentially the juice is the only way to make a rum um, that has a real sense of provenance. And that involves that notion of terroir that sometimes you talk about when you talk about wine. So he came back to Australia, um, to the place where he actually grew up on the Gold Coast, uh, where for more than 100 years now we've been cultivating sugar cane. We actually work with some farmers that are fifth generation, fifth generation farmers on the same farm, growing that same sugarcane. And we decided to um, start making that style of rum um, in a place that had that culture of making rum, but also a very special place in Australia and in the world because we are actually located in the deepest caldera in the Southern Hemisphere. So a caldera, for those who don't know, um, is the large depression formed after a volcano erupts and collapses. And that creates a very special place um and that's what pretty much is responsible for the beautiful um beaches that we've got for the fertile soil, for the surf breaks, and the lifestyle I guess that the people have enjoyed. Uh, for all those years here. So that very special pocket that we like to call the Caldera Coast between Barron Bay and the middle of the Gold Coast is a place where is. and we are still, after 10 years, the only farm to bottle um, juice from distillery in Australia um, that we also call Australian Cultivated Rum, as you explained in your introduction. Um, And this pretty much means that we grow our own sugarcane on the farm we harvest it once a year when the sugar cane is uh, ripe. We process it in our sugar meal that we're actually upgrading at the moment. Um, with that juice, we ferment it to create alcohol. We distill it, age it, bottle it on sites, and then obviously enjoy the final product. So a very special process that I would say is not only unique in Australia, but in the world, because when you think about it, There are not that many distilleries that are single estate using what they grow to make um, the product that they want to sell. So very special place um, with, you know, a little bit of influence from from the Caribbean, but a true Australian spirit in what we're trying to achieve.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you guys are really the pioneers of this cultivated kind of Australian rum. Let's talk about some of the challenges of making agricole rum as opposed to kind of what we call traditional industrial rum, so rum from molasses. Um, talk to me a little bit about why that is more challenging, but why, why that adds to the final product.
1: Sure. So molasses is a byproduct of the sugar-making process. So for a very long time, it was a waste, and people didn't really know what to do with it. And then people realized, well, obviously it was sweet, so – Anywhere there is sweetness, there's a possibility to make alcohol. And that's why, um, that's how I guess people started to make rum. So that was pretty easy. Molasses is very stable because it's been going through a whole industrial process, as you said. Um, so it can be stored, it can be shipped all around the world. So you can make rum from molasses in Canada, in Scotland. It doesn't matter if you don't grow your own sugar cane, you can still make rum. Um, juice, on the other hand, it's a very delicate product. So as soon as you cut the sugar cane, it's a little bit like wine. Um, as soon as you harvest um, and pick that grape, you've got all that wild, um, uh, you know, the wild yeast bacteria that are on the fruits or on the stick of the sh- of the sugar cane. They're going to travel um, through the cane stick, and all of that is going to start a fermentation. Process and it's something that we want to allow because that's part of the of the distinctive um, flavour profile of our rum. But obviously, we want to be able to control that because um, nature is amazing in what it does, but um, sometimes it goes to some extremes that uh, we don't really want to let happen. So um, it's a it's a pretty much a race and a balancing act for me to. Um, first decide when the sugar cane is ready to be um, harvested and from that point on, um, harvest it and then process it as quickly as possible to be able to have the best expression of that sugar cane possible. So typically we would cut the cane a few hours later it would be uh, crushed and then as soon as the juice is extracted, um, less than a few hours later, our um, yeast is pitched into the juice but obviously all that wild yeast that um, that that I spoke about is already in action in that juice. And the first few hours of your fermentation is always going to be a natural fermentation followed by a more controlled fermentation with the yeast that I've added. So that's a very big challenge. Uh, because obviously we cannot, you know, buy in sugar cane from, you know, overseas. We cannot keep that juice for later on that year. So we've got a very short season of just a few months. Um, in the end, it's very similar to um, a wine vintage. You know, it's it's very intense. It's very brief, and a lot of challenges uh, to actually master this process and create a product that is going to be. good problem a good problem a good product sorry um that people will be able to enjoy afterwards um and a little bit of history about it um i guess it was such a hard process to master that um the first um rum made from sugarcane juice was made not because people really wanted to make it but more by by necessity so you take Martinique, my islands which is Um, the prime producer of this style and and the most famous one in the world. Um, It all started because the sugar industry was going down over there and they were not competitive enough to – compete with the other bigger islands so all those sugar meals that were crushing sugarcane to extract the juice and make sugar well they didn't have any customers to buy all their sugar so what they decided to do is well we already have the sugarcane let's extract the juice uh, we won't go to the end of the process to make sugar and molasses let's just use the straight juice to make rum and try to sell our rum Um, that's the simple story uh, behind it so it just it just sort of happens and then over the next 100 150 years the process has been mastered and then we've got the exceptional products that we can enjoy today only about three percent of the rum in the world is made that way
0: wow it's completely fascinating to to hear I mean just the challenges of of deciding to make cultivated Australian rum and to make it of place that you're that you're talking about, um, and you know, hailing from Martinique, how the hell did you find your way to Tamilagam of all places after of being born on this incredible island? How have you found just your way here, Quentin?
1: Well, it's uh, there's there's a uh, really often um, woman behind those sort of decisions, um, <laughs> but pretty much, yeah, that was the main reason why I moved to Australia. Um, I'm not only with this person, but I, I sort of fell in love with the place and. Um, when I um, found Paul Messenger and that small distillery that he had started, and when we met and spoke about that style of rum that I knew very well, and that I had been, you know, um, used to drinking, you know, during my um, the the first part of my life it became obvious that that's what I wanted to do here and it became obvious to him that, you know, uh, I was the person that would help him to take uh, that small distillery to the next step. So it's been a, a very long process. Uh, I've got an engineering background, so was not making rum in the past, was just enjoying it. Um, but I guess, you know, when I arrived in Australia seven years ago, I couldn't really find all those beautiful rums that I was used to. And being very far away from um, my island's you start missing those things. And for a while, you you buy a few bottles to remind you of the taste. And obviously, when when I taste from from back home, it sort of takes me back there, uh, which is nice. But um, yeah, I sort of slowly got into making a little bit of it, um, understanding the process a lot more. Um, And then that story that Paul has started to create in Timbergon of really not skipping any step, uh, doing everything the hard way. I mean, we reintroduced a sugar meal in a small town that hadn't had one for more than 100 years. It's, it's all very hard work, and there are a lot of easier ways to make rum in this country, um, but that that is a very noble way to make it. And that creates a product that has no other comparison in this country. So, um, all of that story and that vision, I guess, of pioneering this startup of rum in this country was something very fascinating for me. Um, and I was really happy to be able to join this adventure and, um, um, put my mark on it as well.
0: Definitely. I mean, to see it from the incarnation of somebody's dream um, that fell in love with this incredible product and then to go right to the source and have to do it all from scratch, like you said, with those that hand mill that I can see on your website, um, pretty incredible. You've probably seen a real change in the reception of rum drinking in Australia. Um, And how have you seen that kind of change over your time of launching these products? I mean, I think spiced rum is, you know, a completely different category and we have a a completely different set of drinkers here in Australia. But talk about um, the reception of of what you've seen in your
1: time. Yeah, so like I was saying, even before I started with Husk, um, rum was – was not very developed in Australia. And when I say that, I mean, there's always been a lot of drinkers, uh, but drinkers of the same style and then, you know, a few select products. Now we have hundreds of rums from all around the world available here, which is great. And since I started with Husk and trying to introduce, again, that's um, uh, juice rums that we call again, Australian cultivated rum, um, really changed a few things. and. I'm really happy to see when I do master classes and introduce that style to people, they're very curious to know more about that style and ask me, oh, what rum from your island, for example, can I try? And it's been very good talking to importers and hearing that uh, since Husk started to push, um, products others making juice from have been able to sell more of their rum here so i think this has helped a lot we have consumers that are very curious as well they realize rum was more than what they were used to and what they knew and they always want to try something new whether it's from australia or from overseas so um, really exciting times of seeing all those people trying different things the last point would be So, agricultural rum, as we call it in Martinique, or Australian cultivated rum, as we call it here, is something that traditionally um, we drink unedged. So, if you go to Martinique, 90% of what we make and drink is what we call white rum, which is unedged rum. And we've got a very specific way of drinking it in a tipponche. And well, in Australia, um, rum is known as an aged dark spirit, which is, you know, very, very different. Uh, another difference is spice rum is very popular here. As you explained in Martinique, we don't really, it doesn't really exist. So um, I guess I had that little challenge of, Trying to introduce something that I was used to, something that I knew was really good and authentic, and also meeting the demands of the market, which is obviously used to uh, different products. So it's a little bit of a balancing act uh, there, again, where uh, you want to introduce novelties to people, make them try new things. And they, um, to an extent, happy to do so. But you also need to supply them with things that they are used to uh, traditionally drinking in Australia.
0: Yeah, I think that that's so interesting because we are big um, gin drinkers here in Australia as well. Um, and like you said, I think that that pure, that pure unaged cane spirit is something that taken us a little while, unless, you know, people are serving it, heaven forbid, you know, with Coca-Cola or whatever it may be. It's taking a little while to take off. Is that where Husk Botanic came in, using an, a, a botanical cane spirit to look at some of native ingredients and also appeal to perhaps more of a gin drinker? Or was that just, where did that kind of... Um, idea come from?
1: Yeah, no, there's, there's definitely a link with gin. Gin, by by the way, again, when I arrived in Australia seven years ago, was definitely not as popular as it is now. So that is the proof that trends can be turned around, and that with a little bit of help from uh, producers, we can um, change the perception of um, of a drink category. So the same thing uh, goes with rum and Botanic was a way, I guess, yes, to to introduce rum to gin drinkers and also non-rum drinkers. So people have a very, uh, and I said that in my introduction, um, they have a very narrow image of rum in Australia. It's pretty much just one brand, and that's all what they've known growing up, and it's really hard to shake that off. So showing them something that doesn't look like what they are used to, that doesn't taste or smell like what they used to, is usually enough to... um, Uh, push them to actually test it because really often they don't even want to test it. So that that's how that product came about to really build a bridge between the gin drinkers or the non rum drinkers and the rum drinkers. And act as a, you know, segue and sort of the first step to exploring this category that has so much to offer. Um, And the second point to that is, it was also to showcase the diversity of rum. Um, I think, I still believe rum is the most diverse spirit category in the world. You've got white rum, you've got age rum, you've got all different styles from the Spanish, French to English styles. And it's like, multiple spirits in one category the same thing but different and i always tell people if you don't like rum it's because you haven't found found the one for you yet um that's my biggest challenge here in australia is always find that rum that's the person in front of me will like because there's definitely one
0: Oh, definitely. I think it it's interesting to hear people's um experience. I'm sure you get it a lot, Cellador. You just get a bit of everything. People that are dedicated spice rum people or people that have never tried it, so you'd hear some very interesting stories. Um, at Key, your uh, Bam Bam or your spice rum was probably the first thing that took my notice, and I just fell in love with the aromatics. I, w- I wasn't a big spice rum drinker, but I couldn't get over the aromatic quality of the wine. It was something I would constantly pop my nose in the bottle, um, and it, we end up serving that with um, a beautiful caramel dessert that Peter Gilmore put together um, uh, in part of our um, our kind of non-wine uh, pairing that we called a round of drinks. Um, and it's got me drinking actually spiced rum. But I think um, what I'd like to see in the future is that people uh, look at aged rums um, more as a specialty kind of digestive, just like kind of the likes of the cognac and the Scotch world. I really would like to see people drinking a little bit more aged rums because I think it is an incredibly fine spirit. And it's probably what I would gravitate to these days if I was going to have a rum of itself, just, uh, just neat. But you have released um, a couple of specialty beverages, um, being that you had the uh, 1866 tumbulgum rum and the um, Triple Oak as well. Is that something that Husk is going to continue doing?
1: Absolutely. And we actually released um, another product in this line in August last year um, called the Lost Blends. We made about 760 bottles of that one, and it was sold out in a few hours. So um, we still had up until this year, very limited stock because obviously you need to make the spirit and age it for several years um, in the barrels before you can bottle it and sell it. But from the second part of this year, we should have multiple limited releases coming out every year. And hopefully from 2023, we should have – a um, permanent range of products, age products coming out that are not spice. So just like you say, spice rum is a big category and people, um, I, I guess, tend to associate spice rum to rum altogether. But um, you know, for people like me, uh, who's from the Caribbean or people in other countries that are a bit more mature when it comes to rum, um, really see spice rum as that fun um, subcategory of rum. A r- rum is before anything a very noble um, spirit that you edge and enjoy like a good cognac like you said or like a good whiskey. Um, and I've got beautiful rums in my in my collection, you know, that are 10, 15, 20 years old. And those you can have them as a, as a digestive um, as you explained, just knit or on the rocks. So this is definitely something Something we're moving towards um at husk but like most things you know um like i said we're not taking any shortcuts with the approach that we are taking and to build the brands and build the flavor profile that you're happy with it takes years and years and paul and i always say it's a 20-year process to establish this brand and we didn't make things uh, you know easy for us because you've got all the farming part of things which is you know in the final product, there's probably uh, i would say at least half of the process that happens um, on the farm just growing the sugar cane making sure it's a good cane and and this takes time it takes years and then you, you end up making your products and you again have to wait years to age that product so um there's definitely good stuff coming out soon um so the only thing i can say it's uh, did and be quick to buy it <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely i actually haven't come across um your pure cane spirit till recently and i actually um used to drive south uh, sorry north every year with my family to um a beautiful area called morton island off the coast of of brisbane and my father when we were driving used to stop by the sugarcane fields in your region and actually just cut me down Pretty cheeky, I suppose we were actually stealing it, but he would cut me part of the sugar cane and um, I would just chew on the sugar cane um, as a little treat. And when I first tried that pure cane spirit, I was like, oh my gosh, this grassy sweetness. Um, it just brought back the the memory of being a young kid chewing on the sugar cane, and I thought, you know, that that is the the testament of a really good product is to bring back incredible memories. And uh, I hadn't thought about that moment until I tried the husk pure cane. So thank you for that. I think it's a great product, and um, I, it's taken me a little while to to find a way that I want to drink it. Um, and you know, these days with just a beautiful squeeze of really lovely fresh lime, it's it's now a house drink. So pretty
1: incredible. Perfect. But yeah, it's um, I mean, that is the that's the internet style to really have that uh, burst of grassiness and uh, freshness coming out of the glass. And again, something only possible uh, by using the fresh sugar can juice. Um, and like we say back home, the bottle is not really finished until you find a way to drink it in a way that you can actually enjoy the product. So that's that's always the biggest challenge with any spirit, I guess. Um, but with the um, with the pure cane, with that anadron, uh, just like you said, um, fresh lime and for us back home, a little bit of raw sugar is the hot trinity. You blend those three t- together and you can make most drinks and they go super well together.
0: Mm, I can totally understand why Paul Messenger fell in love when he went over to the Caribbean. Um, and like I said, what you're doing is unparalleled in Australia and you've put the, the name of, you know, rum and Australian cultivated rum back on the lips of Australians. And I think that is no easy feat to do. So well done. I want to talk a little bit about the fact that you've had some horrendous weather up there and the first floods of this year really did affect the distillery. How are you going at the moment and, and was there a lot of damage done in that in those first downpours? Yes,
1: yeah, so um, believe it or not, five years ago when I started with HERSC, um, I had been with them for a week and we had one of our biggest floods on history. And five years later, um, almost to the week, we get, um, again, our biggest flood on record. So um, definitely challenging times for us. Um, although we built the distillery up high to make sure we were above that flood level, that last one uh, completely uh, took everyone by, by surprise and, uh, we got flooded in all the buildings. So followed, you know, weeks of cleaning, mud everywhere. You saw, you probably saw all the videos and pictures online. Um, but, um, yeah, challenging times, um, fortunately it doesn't happen every year uh we have a great team of um people working with us and a great community that is always there to help so after a few weeks we're able to reopen Uh, production started again um we are posing everything again today because we had a little bit of a flood um alert but um it should be um not too bad this time so um this is part of the life i guess um in the tweed and um um that's part of our climate we've got that subtropical climate that brings a lot of rainfalls every now and then and it's part of the life here it's great for growing sugarcane it's a great climate as well to age spirit because you've got a dynamic aging between the summer and the winter but uh unfortunately every now and then it comes with a few floods but that's um that's uh that's that's what it is and we've always been able to bounce back pretty quickly
0: yeah well we are thinking of you up there and um you know it is it is been pretty tough for a lot of you guys up there and we're just thinking about you and we hope that uh you know fingers crossed this this doesn't affect you guys in the next next few weeks of of wet weather um I wanted to ask, you know, I mean, I, I think I know the answer already, but I always do ask if you could only drink three drinks for the rest of your life, Quinton, what would they be and why? What are your top three?
1: <laughs> that's a very good question. Um, I like to try new things. I, I think I rarely go to a bottle shop and buy twice the same thing. So that's a very hard question to to answer. But um, to your point just before when you were talking about pure cane and how it reminded you of your childhood, I would say definitely a tea ponche, which is, as I said, that traditional way of drinking white rum back home with a bit of lime and a little bit of raw sugar. That, that's a very specific thing. It's almost like a ceremony back home. You prepare it. There's a specific way to cut the lime, to add the sugar. And it's something when you grow up as um, as a teenager, your dad would ask you to prepare it until the day where you turn 18 or a little bit be- be- just, just before that. Um he he passes you a glass and then that's it. You you sort of part of the club and you can have one. Um, so it's a very special drink, I guess, for us. That reminds me a lot of things and that is just really good to drink. So tip punch would be the first one. Um, a good edge rum, a good edge uh, rum made from sugar and juice, because again that takes me back to Martinique and what we're doing here in Australia. And the last one, um, I'd say champagne because believe it or not, Martinique is um, the biggest consumer of champagne in France, which probably makes it the biggest consumer of champagne in the world per capita. So we like a good celebration um, and we import a lot of champagne and I guess I grew uh, very fond of it over the years. Quinton,
0: I knew I liked you already, but with those three answers, uh, we can definitely get along. <laughs> Uh, It's been such a true pleasure hearing more about the groundbreaking work that you guys are doing up there. Um, This has been one of the hardest uh, podcasts we've had to do just because of internet and a few other things, but it really stands testament to the determination and your work ethic, which means that you will see it through to the end. So thank you so much for persevering through all the challenges that we've had. I can't wait to get up there. And I hope that when I, I do make my way there, you will teach me how to do a tea punch because I would love to learn from the source itself.
1: Definitely, and uh, just to finish on that note, um, I always tell people it, it's always it's it's always best to see this whole process that I just described live. And we we are, like I said, a pretty unique place, so it's always good to come and see how we make that rum, see the sugar fields, and just get that experience, you know, in you. So anyone who wants to come and give us a visit, the harvest is going to start around August and we'll go for a few months. Perfect time to come here, perfect weather.
0: Oh, well, I'm going to speak to um, some very important people at Deep in the Weeds <laughs> and maybe suggest that we come for a visit. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Quentin. I wish you the best of luck in the coming weeks and thanks for taking the time to tell us all about uh, Cultivated strain and Rum.
1: You're welcome. Thanks again for having me. Bye-bye.
0: This is over a glass i'm shante whale stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks listen in every thursday on your podcast app follow us on instagram at over a glass pod and contact us at over a glass at deep